You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Please stand for a reading of God's Word. For Micah, the sixth chapter, starting in verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Rise and plead your case. Let the mountains hear and the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the controversy of the Lord and your enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people. He will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what way have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the house of slavery, and sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam son of Beor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give the firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Peace to you, my brothers and sisters. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, where we light the final external candle, the fourth candle, the candle of peace, before lighting the center candle on Christmas Day, on Christmas Eve, when we'll light it together for the first time. Well, I am overcome, right? What, what a day to remember names and to think about those that are resting peacefully in their reward. It's kind of hard. You know, it's kind of hard to, to think about those names and think about those people, especially the ones that are not named, because I know each one of you have names that weren't listed, people dear to you that maybe others may not know. And in this time, when we're kind of defined by other things right now, we're, we're being uh, defined by corporations in different ways, uh, it's easy to lose sight lose sight of what's purpose, what our focus is, right? I mean, corporations want to define us in a certain way as consumers, right? We've got five more days to shop, right? So it's time for me to get started. <laughs> time for me to get busy on this. And, and companies see this as a big deal. They know retirees will spend... a. trillion dollars this year, not just on Christmas, don't worry, that would be quite a Christmas gift right there, 
But they also target us in groups and look at, okay, how could we market to retirees? How could we market, like they have in the last 20 years, to preteens? Preteens spend $40 billion in America every year and influence another $100 billion. And so we're kind of forced, uh, at least from corporate America's standpoint, into these categories of being defined as consumers. People that are to take things in and to own things, to possess them. Now, we come to a passage like today, and uh, our, our passage sets up like it has so often in Micah, like a play. And I don't know how many of you are theater lovers or thespians and enjoy a good play. We haven't got to go to many performances at all in 2020. But we've been enjoying the performance from Micah, a 3,000 year old performance from this prophet. And here the courtroom begins to appear around us again. And we get this all rise moment in verse one because the Lord, Yahweh, is entering in the courtroom and everybody stands up. Because when God appears, things change. The interesting thing is that God is not coming in as the judge. God is coming in as the prosecuting attorney. Still, everyone stands up for the prosecuting attorney. And they are ready to see what will happen. Now, I kind of start to choke on my throat a little bit when God enters the room. To know that God is coming to bring a case against His people. That's us. I have to wonder, because... When God shows up to make a case against me, I kind of want to make a break for it. I want to run. Because I know God is going to know all and have a case against me. And if you look closely at how Micah 6 sets up, it's a little different. We glance around this courtroom that's appeared around us, and we look over in the jury box, and who's seated there but the mountains? And the earth's foundations, uh-oh, there's nothing that the mountains and the foundations of the earth have not seen and heard. They're like old people. Old people have not seen anything new. Yeah, you put a new pattern on it, you put a new color, but it's the same. They have seen this for their whole life. And the mountains and the earth's foundations, oh boy, this is going to be an interesting jury box. And out in the gallery, who's seated there but all the nations? All the nations gather to hear what Yahweh is going to see. And so when Yahweh steps forward to speak, we kind of all take a collective gasp. We're breathing in, almost holding our breath, wondering what is going to be said. And God says, not an accusation, but what's your complaint against me? How have I wearied you? God, as the prosecuting attorney, does not take the chance to begin the accusation, but he points back to us. Now, if you're a parent, you've heard this before. Whenever God says a line like, how have I wearied you? What, what, what are your complaints against me? Does that sound like anything to you parents? Have you ever had a teenager or a child that begins to complain to you? And it's almost like God is stepping forward in this wearied parent moment saying, okay, well tell me exactly 
what it is that I've done to weary you. Now, we're all still holding our breath. We hold our breath and don't say anything at all. And so God steps into that silence and says, well, let me tell you what I've done for you. I brought you out of the most powerful country in the world. Out of their walls, you walked out with things under your arms. You were enslaved, and so I ended slavery for you. You needed new leaders, so I gave you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Isn't it great that he affirms female leadership there in the Old Testament? Affirms Miriam's leadership. I gave you good leaders. How have I wearied you? The response? Crickets. <laughs> Silence in the room. This is apparent uh, teenager uh, conflict that's going to go nowhere. Or does it? I mean, eventually we can't quite hold our silence, can we? We, we push forward our defense attorney, which is what happens. Uh, look down in verse uh, 6. And our defense attorney is good. The defense attorney steps up and says, well, what, what, are, what are we to come before you, O Lord? How are we supposed to approach you, God? What more do you want us to do? Are we supposed to bow before your highness with gifts? And I kind of hear a child's sarcasm to the tone of the voice. What, what, what are we supposed to do here? And we start to hear what our response is. And I like this question because I think it's appropriate for where we're at now. This defense attorney says, what are we supposed to give? What can we give to God? It's almost like we're thinking about our Christmas list. We've got God on that Christmas list. What actually are we going to buy God for Christmas? Did God make your Christmas list? I mean, what are we going to take? And that's a question that's worth asking and one that we will answer today what do you give god for christmas now as the defense attorney goes through thankfully we've got him talking and we don't have to right we can keep holding our breath and the defense attorney says okay so what shall i bring god should i bring a whole burnt offering and you have to picture this almost like your online shopping list yeah i know most of you are having to do your shopping online but you search for something and it's ranked. And I don't know if you're one that ranks from the most expensive to the least expensive or the most appropriate to the least appropriate. Well, it starts with the least expensive. A whole burnt offering. It's a pretty expensive gift. You go in and you give this gift. It's a Holocaust offering, so it's totally burned up. And it shows tremendous devotion because you're not taking anything away from it. Well then, next in the list is calves a year old. That's a little bit more expensive. You have to pay to raise a calf for a year. Care for that thing. Raise it, feed it. And then, at the end of the year, you're giving up all potential future earnings from this calf. You're not going to get any future calves from this calf. You're not going to get any milk. You're not going to get any manure for your... Well, that's kind of a little too far, right? But... You see where I'm going with this. You give up all future opportunities by burning up this young calf. Well, it keeps going. The defense attorney says, well, what shall we bring? 10,000 rams? Now, wait a second. Who has 10,000 rams? When, when has God ever said you need to sacrifice 
10,000 rams. Who could do that? Maybe King Solomon? Maybe Oprah Winfrey? I mean, this is kind of like an Oprah type list. This is massive, massive gift. It kind of gets more and more sarcastic. And, and you start to see how we, being the teenager, and I'm not picking on teenagers, by the way. You, you understand this, right? Teenagers, you need to know that we adults do this as well. We do a little bit of complaining. We bend the ear of our coworker or our spouse, and we do a little whining of how we've not been taken care of, how we're not, uh, uh, we need someone to listen to our complaints, right? So teenagers, don't think I'm out to get you because we're all there. Another little side note, have any of you found yourself complaining at all during COVID? I don't know about masks or maybe a restriction or a, a, a business that you can't go in or a certain official, right? Have you found yourself complaining? This is all of us. And the big punch comes towards the end because we're kind of really thankful that we've got this defense attorney standing in our court for us against God. He's doing well because it's like we're getting the answer. The answer is nothing. We can't bring anything. And you can just see the mountains over in the jury box and they are nodding their trees saying, yes, come on, keep, keep defending us. But then it goes one step a little too far. Shall I offer my firstborn? What? Child sacrifice? Again, parents of teenagers might say, hey, well, uh, hmm. no, 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 no. That's a little too far. Others of you are like, that, no, child sacrifice, that is too far. God forbids that. That's what the pagans do. Now, can you sense the sarcasm? Can you sense the over-the-top, supra-reality defense that's being expressed here? Well, it sets us up for gold. It sets us up for this golden statement in Micah 6.8 that summarizes the entirety of the prophetic witness. All of it in a refrain. So those of you that like your, your, uh, your drinks straight up, those that you like nothing held back, that's simple, it's straightforward, this is your verse. Those of you that are looking for a memory verse for your children, those of you that are looking for a personal mission statement, you couldn't do better. You could do a lot worse, but you couldn't do better than Micah 6. Verse 8, what do I come before the Lord? What do I bow before the Lord? In verse 8, it's answered. He's told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Boom, there it is. In a statement. The performance of justice. Most often with justice, we want it done for us. We want to be innocent until proven guilty. But this is the doing of justice, not the receiving of justice. It puts it in our court that we practice justice. That it become our lifestyle. Not concerned about what's happening to us, but how we might first care for the best interests of other people. 
That's different from our normal demands. This gets us closer to that golden rule from Jesus' own lips of doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. One of the mistakes we make is to begin to think that God wants things. But what God wants is us. God wants our actions, our practice. It's somewhat of a mirage to begin to think that religion is somehow a solo venture. It's just something between me and God. That my spirituality, my faith, is an individual project of my own mental enrichment. And it's not. Spirituality, pure religion, is about others as well. It drives us into the practicing of justice, the performance of justice, the doing of justice by our own lives. If you want to lose your purpose, which is the journey that we've been on for the last several weeks of finding ways that we can lose our purpose, you can believe that life doesn't matter, like in week one. You can believe that, uh, that you should plot evil, that it's okay to strategize the evil things that you could do. You can assume that the rubble of your life is the sum total of your reality. You can lose hope, or like we talked about last week, lose sight of the promise of God. But in this passage, in this whole chapter, if I look at the way that you lose purpose here, it's to become entirely identified as a consumer. To just consume. To think it's all about what can happen for you and to you. You will definitely lose your purpose on that path. The performance of justice pulls us out of that to outward, dynamic demonstrations where we work for the equity of other people. It moves us beyond creeds, moves us beyond simple beliefs or sacrifices, and into actions that manifest the justice of God. Okay, doing justice. Loving kindness. Loving kindness. Loving mercy. A lot of ways that this could be translated. In fact, if you wanted a Hebrew word that's an important one for you to know, it's this one. Hesed. It's the kind of steadfast love, the enduring, abiding love that God has for us. It just won't stop. Paul capitalizes on it in 1 Corinthians 13 when he talks about love that bears all and love that endures all. Marriage is a great training ground in this kind of love, of staying in there and understanding that in a marriage, it gets better the longer you're willing to endure. And we've got, when you've got two people that are partnered in enduring, good things can happen. I'm thankful to be married to my wife for 27 years just a few days ago, we celebrate our 27th anniversary. And there's a lot of enduring. There is a bearing with one another. And it gets better and better the more you keep coming back to those commitments and loving that person through their own awkwardness and stubbornness. Loving kindness. Well, the third one here, walking humbly with God. We often talk about this journey of life with God traveling hand in hand, understanding that we're not alone even if we're standing seemingly alone. We're walking with God, recognizing our 
attention and our obedience and our humility is focused in on God. So we've had, we've had things so far that are, are outward focused like justice, an inward resource that's love and loving kindness. And here we get this thing that kind of brings them together, a relationship with God that, that opens us up to the community that God provides for us. We're not in this alone. We're in this together. You know, this chapter is pretty interesting. We could look at examples that come before verse 8. We could look at examples from 9 to 16 that are quite uncomfortable about business practices of cheating and stealing, borrowing where you should not borrow. And those examples help us to realize that we can't live this in isolation from our everyday lives. Micah 6.8 helps to bring together our worship and our everyday lives. To see those as woven together. There's not a sense of, of just throwing aside external religion. Sometimes that's what happens. People will hear the answer of what we give God for Christmas, and it's nothing, or what we give God on Eternal Beings Day, since He doesn't have a birthday, it's just every day He's eternally present. What do you give God? Well, it's nothing. And sometimes we just say, well, I guess then that's what I'll give. I'll give nothing. That's not what Mike is saying. Those externals are not something to be thrown away. The problem is when you have the externals and the action of your life doesn't match up. Right? Worship and service and action all make sense as a natural response, an overflow of the heart. And when God gets upset is when it's all external and the heart is not there. The action is not complemented by what we say by our lips. Well, it's important for us to think about these type of things, especially at this time. Because we're formed. We're a formed people. Advent is a formative experience. To think about beginning our Christian year in the run-up to Christmas is very important. Because there are other formative things at play in our lives. I've already hinted at them. But let me highlight them again. Because if we're not aware of them, uh, we can maybe forget their influence over our lives. As you look through Amazon for online things, things pop up and are suggested to you. Because you bought this, what about that? Right? Your credit card. You sign up for different rewards. Because you've been buying this, why don't we offer you this that's also similar? There's a formative aspect. Now, now sometimes people think that's creepy or that's somehow a conspiracy. Well, these are algorithms, okay? This is, company, this is a company trying to make money even more than what they already have, right? They're being smart. But we have to think about that formative process that we're in. It shows up on Netflix. It shows up on Disney Plus as well. Because you liked this, I'm going to suggest this movie to you. What formative process are you in? Is it a Micah 6-8 kind of formative process? Is it one where you can come with, with empty hands, saying, God, what, what would you do with me? How, how would you have me to act? 
We sometimes think that we've got to offer God something. But what God wants is not things. He doesn't need one more thing off the list. He wants you. He wants me. He wants us in community to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. At First Christian, we're going to highlight that even more in the new year. We've been talking about our, our mission of following Jesus. That's what we're about. That, that also describes who we are and what we do. Are we perfect at it? Oh, no, we've got a long way to go. Each one of us does. That's why we gasped at the beginning of the courtroom trial with God. We've got a long way to go. But it's okay. God doesn't come with accusations. God comes to state His action of saving in our lives and to invite us to come along even more closely with Him. In the first few weeks of January, we're going to be launching again our groups, doing it in a fresh way. We'll have some brand new groups to join because we want to, we want to travel whatever 2021 brings to us together. We want to do this in our groups. And many of you are already involved in groups, but be watching January 10th, January 17th, as you have a chance, if you're not in a group, to sign up for one. Because we cannot do this alone. We are following Jesus together. We need to be able to rely upon one another. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank You. We thank You that You have not consumed us with anger, with fear, but that You have surrounded us with Your eternal love. Thank You that we can come into a courtroom and not be afraid and not have to complain, not have to whine and gripe and cry because we know that You have our best interests at heart. You want us. Father, as we close out this year, as we think about the losses, as we think about the gains, as we think about the new perspectives that have been granted to us, would you help us to recommit again to you, to following you, becoming more like your son. Help that to permeate every instance of our being. We thank you that we can together worship you with this group of people. And we can worship you the group of people that are in Albuquerque who may not even know you and help our lives to not only speak about justice and mercy, but to live it. We pray all this through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit as one God now and forever. Amen.